Have you ever asked yourself, what does God want? I mean, what does God really want from me? Have you ever felt yourself being at an impasse? It felt as though I've come this far and I can really go no further. Have you ever felt as though, well, after everything, we've come so far, but now it just seems as though this is just, this is just a bridge too far, Lord. I mean, what, how, how, there is no way that I could possibly move forward. This is where the Israelites are, are at at this point in in their history. They're at, uh, they're at a river and they, they cannot possibly get across. It's as though the, the waters are, are taunting them. It's as though the river Jordan, which is in flood, is taunting them, saying, you're never going to inherit what God has promised. You're never going to make it. You, whatever it is you think that you're, you're called to, you, I'm, I'm, we're here to say you're never going to make it. We're here to sell you that we, I'm going to oppose you every step of the way. And it's a pipe dream. You're never going to enter God's, God's promises. That is, that is the context today. They, they, they are stuck. They're at a bit of an impasse. They, they, they just cannot get across uh, the, the, the flooded uh, Jordan River at, at, at this point. They're never going to inherit the promise. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe this is uh, you at this point in 2024. You've come this far and you feel as though you're just at a bit of a standstill. You're... You had a bit of a, a, a roadblock, perhaps. Well, this is a story of, with a word of encouragement for you, if that's you. This is a story whereby we are encouraged to nevertheless to, to step in, to trust in God's faithfulness and to continue to advance through, through it all. The waters of the, the River Jordan at this time might be similar, might be analogous to, to your circumstances in in 2024, some three and a half thousand years later. This episode takes place about one and a half thousand years before Christ. Uh, this episode takes place about 40 years after the Israelites have come up out of Egypt. Moses is dead. The great hero, the great liberator, he's gone. And, jo and Joshua is, is, is left with some, some big sandals to fill. Joshua is now in charge of of God's people and has been given the task by God of leading his people into the promised land, into Canaan, into the land flowing with, with milk and honey. But they find themselves at, at an impasse. The waters are raging. The flood waters are raging. But they, they can't get across. So God says, be strong and courageous. I've been hearing that theme throughout this series in Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Trust me. Step in and see how I will act. Let's pick up the story in Joshua chapter 3, shall we? If you've got it open up in your Bibles, you'll be reading from, uh, from the NIV. Uh, Joshua chapter 3 says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people 
So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Let's pray. Uh, loving Lord, we pray that you will make yourself known to us this morning. We pray that you will enable us to hear your word to us this morning through this, this amazing passage of Scripture. We pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And of all the people said... Right, so if you were here the last couple of weeks, you'll know the context. If you haven't been journeying with us, you'll know that the, the people have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're finally at the edge of Canaan. They're finally ready to take all that God has promised them, the promised land. They sent out a couple of spies to scope out the land last week, and they came back with a report, and they've said, the land is ours. The Lord Almighty will give us this land, for the people's hearts are melting the people occupied the land. They lived in great fear of this, this Israelite nation that was camped out on, on the other side of the Jordan River. And so finally the, the, the time has, has come. But there's a little pause here, isn't there? Before they actually get going, you'll see at the very start of this passage, they're actually called to wait for three days. Now, patience is not my strong suit. I don't know about you, but I would have been a little bit frustrated at this point. How about you? It's been 40 years. They've been wandering around in circles for 40 years, and now God's finally bought them. They can see the promise that it's just there. But they have to wait. Three more days, just watching as water belts down the Jordan in flood season. From up in the north, up in the highlands, flows north to south, down into the Dead Sea. 
The Jordan River is not like it once was. I've never been to the Holy Land. Has anyone been to the Holy Land and seen the River Jordan? They tell me it's, uh, it's not quite like what it used to be. They tell me these days, with a bit of a running jump, you could just about jump over the Jordan at various points. It's been dammed up and siphoned off for irrigation. But back in those days, during flood season, it could have been up to a mile wide at various points. Probably wasn't a mile wide at this particular point, but certainly a lot of water is flowing down the River Jordan and it, they're at an impasse and all they can do is sit and watch for three days. So what is God doing here? I think this is a little, before they get going, I think this is just a little lesson to them and maybe to us, a little reminder that we have absolutely no way of saving ourselves. I think this was a reminder to the people that actually in order for you to claim your inheritance, in order for you to have what God has promised to you, you need to completely trust in him. There is no way to cross this Jordan by yourself. There's children and, and, and elderly and all their livestock. This, they are completely dependent upon God at this point. I think this little pause is to allow their feelings of helplessness and hopelessness and complete and utter dependence upon God to reach its, its highest possible level because then and only then are they going to throw themselves upon God's mercy and God's grace to somehow make a way where there wasn't a way. Think also at this point, reading between the lines, you see that Joshua is in a bit of a bind. Joshua is a new leader. Joshua is taken over from Mo Moses. Moses. Moses is dead and now Joshua has to... You can imagine the chatter at this point. Moses, what's Joshua done? Why has he brought us here in the middle of flood season? This is a rookie error. This is a clear error. Moses would never have done this. You can imagine the chatter starting to spread throughout the Israelite camp. So God has just given them this moment just to, to really just remind them that they can't save themselves. The true, still true for us today, friends. We can't save ourselves. One of the commentators by the name of David says this, Yahweh delights to show his might in the face of our utter helplessness. Yahweh delights in showing his might in the face of our utter helplessness. Apparently so, so that we cannot help but seeing that we contribute nothing to our deliverance. We contribute nothing to our deliverance. It is all God's work. That's the first little takeaway from this passage before they even get going this morning. Do you need to take a moment, perhaps, and just throw yourself upon God's mercy and God's grace once more? Do you need to set aside those feelings where you're prideful, you think, I've got this sorted, I can do this in my own strength, I've got a few letters after my name, perhaps, I've got the corner office, I've got the... Mate, do you need to just say, Heavenly Father, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to provide a way where there is no way. Confess your complete and utter reliance upon him today. That's the first thing. But when they do finally get going, there's a, just a few little key takeaways from this story that I, that I want us to see. Um, firstly, when they do finally start to move, their first thing is to focus completely on God's presence. You'll see in the first thing that, that, that 
God commands Joshua to do is to take the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark is to lead the way. Now, I know, church, we haven't spent a lot of time in the last couple of years talking about this Ark of the Covenant. When we looked at Exodus last year, we sort of finished with the Ten Commandments, but after there's, a, there's chapter and chapter and chapter of, uh, of detailed instructions about Jewish religious life and at the center of it all was the Ark of the Covenant. Have any of you ever seen Indiana Jones, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Come on. All right, do yourself a favor. A wonderful top, top shelf, one of my childhood favorites. If you've seen it, they do a very good, um, do a very good uh, way of showing what the Ark of the Covenant would have looked like. God gave them very detailed instructions regarding all manner of parts. Every part of life was regulated. There's all sorts of religious instructions. There was all sorts of instructions regarding uh, how the, the priests should dress. They had pomegranates hanging. There was, they had a big sort of breastplate with 12 stones. There was all sorts of rules and regulations. And they had, they had like a mobile temple. I'll just go back to the picture of the temple, if you, to the tabernacle, guys, if you can. There's a bit of a map showing you uh, what it would have looked like. So there's all sorts of detailed instructions in what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible that we didn't get to last year. But basically, the tabernacle represented God's presence here on earth. This is before the temple is built. So it's about 400 years before King Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. Right? That temple was eventually destroyed. Herod rebuilds it, not to the same extent that Solomon built it. But before there was any temple, before there was any solid temple, there was a tabernacle. It was a mobile a mobile temple. You and I would call it a fancy tent. That's really what it was. It was a very fancy, elaborate tent. There was a bit of a courtyard. There was all sorts of tables for slaughtering the beast and offering the sacrifices, all sorts of details about the tools and the tongs that they would use, all sorts of rituals and, and a very elaborate system of, of sacrifices. And then inside the courtyard was the tabernacle itself divided into a couple of rooms. Only the priests would be allowed to enter. And then there was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter. And even then, only once a year. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Thanks, guys. It was essentially a timber box made out of acacia wood. It was covered in gold leaf. It contained the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets that God himself had written on. It had some, uh, some manna. Remember that God provided manna from heaven every day that would go off after a day. The manna in the ark was preserved. It also had Aaron's rod, Moses' brother, that budded miraculously as a symbol of Aaron being the, 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 the great high, the high priest from which the, the priestly line would come. So it was essentially a, a, a box with two mighty cherubim with, their, with their, their, their wings stretched forward, covering the ark. And in the middle where their, where their wings met, it was be called the, the mercy seat. It was God's very presence here on earth. This is a very precious piece of, 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 of the Jewish, of the Jewish life was centered around the ark of the covenant. God's very presence. And so the priests are commanded to, to take the ark. And as they moved around in the wilderness, they would pack it up and move on. But this day, the ark of the covenant comes out of the tabernacle and the priests carry it and they lead the way. And they are told to, to look to the covenant. When you see the ark of the covenant, 
You know it is time. Follow the ark, but keep your distance. About a kilometre. Keep about a kilometre away. A practical level, I think, was simply so that everyone could see it. There's a couple of million people, by the way. The nation's a couple of million people. So they're a bit of a, just a practical thing to keep your distance so that everyone can see. But apart from that, a bit of a lesson for us, I think, to just be not too familiar with God. There is a bit of a temptation, I think, these days to think of God and I, we're mates, you know? God and I, we have an understanding. We're mates. Can I encourage you to reconsider thinking of God as your mate? You're not God's mate. You are not God's equal. God is God and you are not. God breathed stars into existence. We are simply to submit our life to him. Yes, we have an intimate relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, we, come, we can come boldly, but we come with reverence. We come with a holy fear. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. We come with a reverence and a respect. We come with a holy fear from God. Do you need to just reacquaint yourself with God's majesty and power and might and come Come humbly before him in order that you might follow him. Do you need to maybe just readjust your focus? Maybe you, your focus has not been on God's presence. Maybe your focus has been on the flooding waters, on the dangers you see around. Maybe your focus has been on the things of this world. Do you need this day to just slightly readjust your focus? That's the next little challenge, I think, here. When the Israelites are called to look at the ark, to follow the ark, do we still need to adjust our focus to take our eyes off the things of this world or the maddening, the great distraction that I call it in our world today with all of our toys and gadgets and distractions? Do you need to just refocus on God? Maybe you're fearful of something. Maybe those raging waters are symbolic for you or something that you're fearful of. And a little bit like Peter. Remember Peter being called by Jesus out onto the storms? Remember that moment where Jesus calls Peter out of the boat? And Peter, for a moment, a mere mortal, actually walks on water. But when he casts his eyes to see the storm, the wind and the waves, at that point he begins to flounder and sink and Jesus has to grab him. Maybe your focus has been on the raging waters rather than on God's presence. That's the next little challenge for you this morning. Is that you today? Do you need to readjust your focus on God. The second thing that I think we can take away as they're starting to move at this point is they have to consecrate themselves. They're told in verse 5 that they're told to sanctify themselves, to consecrate themselves. This is a sort of a fancy religious word, but it really just means set yourself aside for God. It really just means prepare your heart and your mind to do God's work. It means to be set aside from the everyday, to be set aside for something a little bit special, something holy. Holy simply just means set apart. It's not ordinary everyday stuff. It is something that is, that is special, something that is devoted to, to God uh, alone. It was highly symbolic of starting afresh, of a, of a new beginning. I'm, I'm leaving the old behind. I'm deciding I'm going to focus on God. I'm getting rid of everything that is, that is not of God. I'm going to... To, to cleanse myself. For the Israelites back in those days, it would have meant some ritualistic, sort of some ritual cleansing and, and some cleaning, some, some, some fasting perhaps. 
Again, I think today the, the lesson is clear. Is there something that you need to set aside? Is there something you need to lay down? Is there something you need to turn aside from? Is there something that is not of God that you're carrying, that you're carrying around? Is there something that you need to maybe just make sure that you're completely focused on, on, on God? Uh, there is a sense at which if we are carrying around a sin, if we're continuing in something that is not of God, then, then God turns, his, God turns his, his face away from us. Isaiah chapter 59 says, when we sin, it is like God turns his face away and he, does not, he doesn't hear us. But even just in a practical sense, I think, if you're consumed with the things of this world, if you're consumed with something that, that is not right, that is not of God, it will actually make it very hard you to hear God's calling upon your life? What is it that you need to maybe just have a season, a time of just cleansing, a time of consecration, if you will, a time of just setting aside, a time of just saying, listen, I'm leaving that behind and I'm, I'm concentrating on, on God's will for, for my life. I think the next thing that we can see here, the big lesson, the big takeaway from this passage They've paused, they've waited, they've seen their complete dependence upon God. They've consecrated themselves. They're watching for God's presence. And the, third, the next thing they need to do is they actually need to step out in faith. They actually need to take a step. They actually need to step into the river while the river was still running. Now, there's a clear sort of allusion here back to the Red Sea. People often get this event confused with Moses parting the Red Sea. They're two separate events. Their parents' generation, some 40 years beforehand, had crossed the Red Sea when the, the Red Sea had parted. Same Hebrew word is used, by the way. The water's piled up. The water's piled up on both occasions, but there is a key difference. Back at the Red Sea, Moses raised his staff first, and the waters parted first, and then the Israelites walked on dry land. On this occasion, they're called to step into the water while it's still running. And then, and only then, do the waters pile up upstream. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant are commanded to go stand in the river. And then and only then, we're told, at a town called Adam, it's about 19 miles upstream in modern-day Jordan, we're told the waters piled up, and so the waters receded, and the nation of Israel miraculously walks through on dry ground. Do you need to take that first step of faith? Do you need to actually step in, even in the midst of the floodwaters? Nothing was going to happen unless they actually took that first step and took a risk and, and got, their feet, got their feet wet. And the founder of, uh, of the vineyard uh, 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 movement, says that John by the name of John Wimber, he says, faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. And I think sometimes, uh, I think he's right, but I do think just a bit of a word of caution. I don't think that means just stepping off into an abyss. I think we can actually have faith and trust and in, an informed faith that, you know what, I, I have evidence, I, I I actually have stories that God is faithful. He, in my own life, in the stories of, 
of the people that I know how God has acted miraculously from the pages of Scripture, I actually know that God won't let me fall. So taking a risk, yes, it is risky and scary. And yes, you may have to cop a little bit of abuse or or ridicule, perhaps. But it's not a blind faith. You're not stepping into an abyss. You can trust that God will provide, that God will indeed make a way. Do you need to step out in faith? Or are you one of these people, you're sort of, I'm just doing my own thing. I do see a lot of this in the church, don't we? We see a lot of Christians who seem to have the attitude, well, God, you've got my number, so I'm just going to go do my own thing. Right? I'm just going to go pursue my own agendas. I'm just going to go basically living like a person in any other per- person in the world. And look, God, you know where to find me, but otherwise I'm pursuing my career, I'm pursuing this relationship, I'm pursuing whatever it is, I'm just doing my own thing. It's a sort of a, it's a very passive way of looking at your faith. Sometimes you will actually need to be active and brave in stepping out in faith for God rather than sort of just waiting around for God to, to, to force you to move. You will need to sometimes take that first step in order to see God move. So where is that you? Where do you need to trust God? Where are you needing to, to step in? Where are you needing to, to step up? Have you been just waiting on the sidelines? Have you been just waiting on the banks of the river, just waiting for God to move? Maybe you need to take that, that first step. Can I encourage you to step in today and see how God will reward your faithfulness? And finally, think to having stepped into the river, those priests that are carrying the carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They've stepped into the Jordan and God has performed a miracle, but there's two million people that need to cross. They would have needed to have shown a bit of stickability. They would have needed to show shown a bit of patience. They would have needed to just stand firm in order that others might be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in the Fox Studios car park at the end of a big football game? Because I have, and it takes a long time to get out of it. Have you ever been out at Homebush Stadium with 80,000 people trying to get out of that multi-level car park? It's longer than the game went on. I get a little bit impatient. This is two million people. I'm going to show a little bit of patience. There's elderly that need to cross over. There would have been kids, there would have been animals, flocks and herds. And herd carts and and wagons. It would have taken a bit of time. Those priests had to stand in the gap in order that others might be blessed. Those priests had to take one for the team in order that others might get to where they need to be in God. Perhaps that's you. Maybe that's you. Can I encourage you that every once in a while you might need to just stand in the gap for someone else. Maybe you're going to have to say, I'm going to selflessly do this in order that someone else might be blessed. What is it? What are you doing in order to do that for those around you? Maybe people in our own church, maybe the people in our community. Where is God calling you to stand in the river, to take that step and just wait, be a little bit patient in order that others might be blessed? So can I encourage you as we finish up now just to think about these takeaway lessons from this story. Remember, it's a bit of a two-stage process here. Obvious allusions back to the Red Sea, but with a key difference. They've come out of 
bondage in Egypt, but that was only the first step. They've come out of slavery in Egypt, but they haven't yet entered the promised land. They needed to be active in taking a step into all that God promised them in terms of the promised land. Where are you on that journey? Maybe you've come out of bondage and slavery. Praise God. If you haven't yet come out of bondage and slavery to sin and death, please come and see me after the service. I'd love to pray with you today, to bring you out of death and into life in Christ. But maybe you are still needing to take that second step, to take that active step of faith into all that God has prepared for you. And and, and as you do, can I encourage you to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The book of Hebrews says to look to Jesus Christ. Like those Israelites looked at the Ark of the Covenant, we look to the cross, we look to Jesus Christ as the one who brings us out of death and into life. Jesus, think of it, stood in the gap for you and I, didn't he? Jesus himself took one for the team. Jesus was willing to go to his death. Unlike those priests who survived that day, despite the raging rivers, Jesus actually died in order that you might live. He willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin and death, to wash you whiter than the snow. Jesus is the one that brings you into the eternal promised land of life eternal. For the follower of Jesus, our promised land isn't that little stretch of land we call Canaan. Our promised land is life abundant, abundant, eternal, resurrection life in Christ. Step into it today. Look to Jesus Christ. Take that step of faith and inherit your promised land of life eternal today. Amen? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray for your help in taking this courageous step of faith to step in where others may pause. Where the world says we are foolish, Father, we say, no, we are trusting in you. We have faith in you. We have seen you work before in our lives. We have heard these stories of your goodness to generations past. And we, too, are willing to claim what God has prepared for us. Help us to stand in the gap for others. Help us to realize that we are completely dependent upon your mercy and your grace. Help us to be cleansed, purified, washed clean. Help us to turn aside from all that is causing you to to turn your face from us, that separates us from you in sin. Help us to take that step of faith. Help us to stand in the gap. We pray for your help this morning, Father, in claiming our promised land, in claiming all that you have for us as individuals and as a church family. Lead on, we pray. We pray that you might indeed prepare the way where there is no way. We cast ourselves upon your mercy and your grace once more as we look to you to enter our promised land. And all the people said...